Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of ESPN's Formula One podcast. I'm Alexis Nunes, joined by my usual gurus, Lawrence Edmondson and Nate Saunders. Coming up, we have an exciting episode for you because we'll be diving right in to preview the second attempt at a first race of the season and what we can expect from the first race at Red Bull Ring. Plus, we'll take a look back at some preseason predictions that are already out of date by the first race. All right, guys, this is it. This is the episode. Oh my goodness, I'm absolutely buzzing after 21 episodes as a lead up to this season. I mean, we thought it was only going to be four or, you know, or less probably. Here we is. Racing is back this weekend. I can't even put into words what I'm feeling. I can only imagine you guys because this is your bread and butter. So, I mean, Nate, let's start with you. How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, eight months for an off season is pretty extreme, isn't it? Uh, I think... <laughs> You know, it, it. the weird thing with Formula One is you don't really think too much about it because for us, we go through the motions of the launch week and then there's testing. And then before you know it, it's Australia. And then that, you know, usually when you see cars on track in Australia, the excitement gets buzzing. And you realize how much you enjoy all that stuff when it's not there. You know, when we had all those weekends where it's like, oh, we would have been watching the Australian Grand Prix or yeah. even the French Grand Prix. You know, when, when, when we had that one, I was like, oh, I'd love to be set watching, you know, 100 laps of a race around Paul Ricard, even if no one was overtaking each other. You kind of realize that, it's actually nice to be watching stuff. So yeah, absolutely buzzing for it to be back. And I think it's a really good circuit for us to kick off on as well. Uh, Austria, you know, usually some pretty entertaining races there. So Buzzing. Lawrence? Yeah, me too. Um, Nate's right to have, uh, also the amount of races we're going to have in such a short period of time. There's got eight races in 10 weeks. So um, all those weeks we've had where we've had, you know, very little to talk about, very little to do, that's going to change massively. So um, yeah, we're, uh, we're kind of setting ourselves up for... Um, an intense period of reporting on stuff that's going on and it's crazy to think that yeah in about a month's time we'll have you know a decent chunk of the season uh, under our belts and a real idea of who's quick and who's not and who's going to win the championship i know i i'm absolutely buzzing too because here we're you know midweek doing this preview podcast and we'll be back together reunited officially in the office socially distanced though and safe disclaimer i have to put that out there because you know um, but we'll be back on Sunday to actually finally talk about some racing that's not virtual racing and have that analysis from you guys. I'm sure you are absolutely buzzing. I know you guys have been very, very busy bunnies. But like I said, let's just get straight into it. This is the official preview episode. I mean, we'll focus on the race at Red Bull Ring from, you know, what can be expected, what protocols are in place, because, of course, there's different changes that, you know, because it was an unprecedented thing that, you know, we went through in the coronavirus pandemic that we're still actually going through. And I think one of the things we've spoken about is how productive Formula One has been in trying to put together a season, trying to find out where and when and how. Now that we do know the where and when, I suppose for those that are just kind of tuning in and wondering why Austria, um, you guys, you could probably recap some of the, I suppose, how that decision came to be. Well, this was actually the weekend that the Austrian Grand Prix was meant to be in the first place. So uh, F1 went through a period uh, of all these races being cancelled or postponed and uh, not really knowing what the calendar would look like. But Austria actually held up there. And uh, I think it's because uh, Austria dealt with the coronavirus crisis quite well. Um, and from what we've heard, uh, you know, life is to some extent uh, normal over there at the moment. So it seemed like the perfect place to go. Not only that, it's, um, it's a circuit kind of that's fairly isolated from big cities. It's out in the, uh, in the middle of the Austrian countryside and it's got its own um, airport essentially right, right next door. So it's ideal for people getting in and out. So it ticks all the boxes uh, to, um, to get racing back underway. And uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about this idea of keeping people safe through uh, these social bubbles and making sure people don't interact with each other. Well, Austria kind of really lends itself to, um, to doing all that. And then if you've got all of that in place, you may as well have uh, two races in one go uh, to get everything rolling and get people up to uh, speed of everything. So, um, yeah, we've we got the unprecedented uh, uh, example of, of starting a season with two races at the same circuit. But as Nate mentioned earlier, it is a good circuit. It does tend to provide good racing. If you remember back to last year, Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc racing for the win right at the end of the, uh, of the Grand Prix was fantastic to watch. So with fingers crossed, we're going to get two decent races to kick us off and probably better, actually, than the race we would have had in Melbourne uh, to start the year if that had gone ahead in March. 
I was going to say, I do remember that just because I've, I've had time to watch over pretty much every race from last season during quarantine. Of course, I didn't get to see it live because I was actually working Cricket World Cup that time, this time last year. So happy I'll finally get into it. So Nate, why do you love it so much? Well, I was just going to say that, so one of my favorite films is Dumb and Dumber. And at the oh. start of that film, <laughs> he asks the lady driving the limo, uh, so I think they wind the window down and she says that she's from um, Austria. So he says, uh, Australia, good day, mate. You, oh. you know, so we've almost got like a dumb and dumber situation. It's very similar to the, the same thing. Um, but no, joking aside, like Austria, like Lawrence has said, is is a it, it's a great little circuit. It's it's one of the shortest on the on the calendar as well. It's just really really quick, and it's going to be sad not being there because when you're in the media center, you actually get this great view of this circuit, and it's 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 just basically just cut into the hills that are there. So you know, if you drove past it and didn't know it was there, you'd probably be surprised to be told there was a Formula One circuit there. One interesting thing. Um, I was speaking to the organiser of the Hungarian Grand Prix and Austria has actually made the calendar a lot easier for the, from a logistics point of view as well. If you think Hungary and Austria share a border, usually when there are fans going to races, they try and keep those races apart from each other just so that fans have a chance to go to both if they want to. Obviously, with no fans there, that's no longer an issue. So I think Austria starting the calendar has really kind of eased the whole calendar for Formula One. They can travel to Hungary, then they can all go back to uh, to Silverstone for two weeks. You know, and obviously any quarantining restrictions that they they had to do a couple of months ago it seemed like they'd have to do more than they have to do now um they can do so it's actually been really neatly plotted out so it's a great way to start and um yeah like Lawrence said I think everybody's going to be absolutely buzzing once we actually see the, the you know the race start in Austria because it's just a great place to to start the season off and I suppose you're right in the sense that it, we're excited that racing is back but there's still a lot of protocol that needs to be followed I mean our return to office is not going to be just a regular return to office. I've been to the ESPN office here in London a couple of times already, and it's still it's a bit of a maze to get through. So I can only imagine, and I'm sure everyone will be wondering too, what the drivers will be feeling and going through. Um, do you guys have any idea of what it's going to be like just to try and you know help us put ourselves in their situation when it comes this weekend? For the drivers in some way, I think it's actually going to be a lot easier because usually you have all the distractions of the paddock going on and drivers will often actually put themselves in their room, which is usually a pretty small little space. It is, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I mean, if you've seen it on Netflix and stuff like that, you know, behind the scenes, they don't actually have much yeah. space. Then as it's soon like a as... London apartment. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And as soon as they leave that, uh, that little area, then they're bombarded by uh, media, by um, autograph hunters and all that kind of stuff. So the media are going to be kept in the media centre um, away from the paddock. So uh, in a way they'll have a, a free run of it, but there's gonna be a lot of Zoom calls, stuff like that, that they're gonna to have to take part in to keep partners happy, who of course have continued to put money into these teams without getting much return over the last few months. So um, yeah, I'm sure they'll be kept busy still. But um, in terms of the actual racing, I mean, the main thing that everyone's saying and probably one of the biggest things that people on the ground will notice is wearing a mask for the whole period you're there is, um, you know, is quite a thing. Like I've worn it to go to the supermarket and stuff like that and you get quite hot under a mask, it's not yeah. particularly comfortable. And so when an engine fails or something like that, all the mechanics are gonna be working on a car with masks on, it's gonna be quite a unusual environment. And um, talking to uh, Ferrari's uh, sporting director, Lauren Meckes on a press conference earlier this week, he said that was actually one of the biggest challenges they're facing. For the drivers themselves, um, you know, I, I think once the visor goes down and they're out on track, doesn't really make much difference, does it? You know, there's no social distancing out there. Um, and, uh, and you know, they're just going to get on with it. So uh, I think in, in some ways it's actually, it's actually better for them. But undoubtedly, like the whole environment there, especially early on, before people get used to it, is going to be a little bit nervous, a little bit unsure. And then there's this constant risk that if there is an outbreak and uh, those drivers uh, are either affected themselves or have been uh, in contact, close contact with somebody else who uh, tests positive, then they could miss a session. They could even miss the race. So there's, you know, there's that other element that, you know, a championship could be decided based on a positive coronavirus test uh, if, if it means that a driver is unable to take a part in a race and a, re a reserve driver has to come in. So that is probably the biggest thing that's hanging over, uh, hanging over this weekend, hanging over the drivers. And that would be a real shame, wouldn't it? If yeah. you know, we'd waited all this time for a championship <clears throat> and then in some way it's altered by, let's say, you know, Lewis or somebody has to miss a session, as you say, Lawrence, because of what's happened to a team. I mean, you know, let's hope that people can see past that. And obviously it's not the fault of any other driver who's winning a race if that does happen. But it's a fascinating thing to, to consider. We don't know either the amount of races we're going to have. We don't yeah. know all of these different things. So actually going into the season from just making predictions point of view is really fascinating because there's a lot of variables that we're just not going to know. Um, I'm actually fascinated as well to see what racing is going to look like without fans there. We've all mm -hmm. seen football come back and it's a huge 
it's a huge thing in football when you have grandstands surrounding the action, which isn't quite the same in Formula One. You know, you have them over certain bits, but I'm not sure whether you're going to miss the fans as much from a broadcast. But then you think about a place like Monza or a place like Silverstone, and you are really going to notice that when you know it's the warm down lap and you know Lewis or whoever is coming into Park Ferme, and it's just going to be this eerie silence. So that I think will actually be will take more getting used to than people maybe uh, appreciate right now. I think so too. Uh, that was actually going to be brilliant point. That was actually going to literally be probably my next question. I was going to get into a little something else that we can't expect, but we'll get to that definitely later. Might as well, because I've been wanting to pick your guys' brain on this one. Because Nate, you did mention, you know, comparing it to football in the sense that we've seen how it came back. It came back with the Bundesliga in Germany. And um, now that we see it here in the Premier League, there's so much talk of teams who usually are, you know, I suppose, buoyed by the fans we're seeing that how they're struggling without them. And we're seeing the, the physical effects of coronavirus. We're seeing kind of boring first halves in football and whatnot. Because um, there's only so much you can do to be match fit. Now, of course, you can argue that in Formula One, physically, there's only so much you can do. You still are relying on the car as well. But are you guys expecting any kind of little niggles or something from the drivers, whether from a you know, physical and mental standpoint? Well, the obvious joke to make is that Lewis is going to have to have a new post-race celebration because he always <laughs> thanks the, the circuit of having the best fans there, um, you know, which is what everyone jumped on. Um, but yeah, I think I think that it's going to be that will genuinely be a fascinating question for the drivers. You know, do you does it does it feel different? Obviously, there's a huge pre-race routine which includes doing the national anthem, and when you're on the grid, it, it it's different at some places depending on where the fans are and how many are there. But I'll never forget the German Grand Prix last year and the year before, you know, the atmosphere when Vettel was wheeled down the, the grid. You just get this, you know, your heart rate starts, you know, really starts going. I'm sure the drivers don't need that extra buzz of adrenaline, but also it might, you know, for them, I don't think any of them will have raced in such an empty place for a long time, maybe since they were karting. So it might have an impact on some of them. You know, they might suddenly think, well, I've never raced in this before. And, you know, this, that slightest change to your pre-race routine, it could have a big impact. So that would that, be something to keep an eye on for sure. I tend to disagree. I think, to be honest, like these guys have done racing for so long that, and they zone out the crowd. You know, you don't hear the crowd when you're in the car because the engine mm. is so loud. So it's not really going to make a difference to the race itself. I think the big thing that will be interesting and could make for a very exciting opening lap uh, in Austria is the fact that these guys haven't raced for such a long time. This is the biggest period of time uh, pretty much in their career since they got in a go-kart where they've not been able to race wheel to wheel with other people. Few of them have been, been out in cars to kind of, um, you know, get their neck muscles back up again. But even that is going to be tricky. And Austria is a difficult track. It's a high speed track. And uh, it's 71 laps, I think, you know. So it's, um, it, it's a lot of strain on, on the body, on certain muscles, which they just cannot train outside of the car. So you've got all of that, um, plus the fact that everyone's going to want to get off to a good start. We still don't know how long this season's going to be. So, you know, if the season is only kind of 12 races or something like that, the importance of getting good results in early on is, is even greater. And so um, that extra pressure and everything, I think that is what's going to uh, impact the racing. And that's what could make it incredibly exciting. Uh, or it could mean they're all a bit conservative. But either way, I think that's going to have a much bigger impact than the fact that uh, there's no fans there. Well, do you remember Baku a few years? I think it was last year, actually. We had two crazy races at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. And then last year, everyone was saying, oh, you, you know, it's going to be wild again. It's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. And what actually happened was in all of the races, the junior categories and Formula One, everyone kind of held back a little bit because I think we'd had some early drama as well. So that start is going to, all it takes is for one person to really kind of start and just get overexcited at that. You know, it's a very narrow first corner as well. So you can see something potentially happening unless, you know, everybody's kind of like, okay, well, let's, let's survive the first corner and get through it as well. Well, we're going to get into specifics now of the race in terms of like predictions and what you guys probably predicted a couple of months ago and see if that changes now and see if the whole, as Lawrence said, there's so many like unknown variables and stuff going on in this season. We don't even have a full season yet, but we'll get to that in a bit. One of the different things that we can expect as well that we have to touch on is, of course, Formula One and the role that they're trying to play in supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. I know we've spoken about it just when the news broke last week. Um, Nate and Lawrence, we we saw, you know, the statement from Formula One and exactly what they want to do with the We Race As One initiative and how it aims at, you know, diversifying the sport, something that they seem to really want to tackle head on now. Um, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I know it has been definitely commended, especially by Lewis Hamilton, who for so long 
has been campaigning for this and has been very vocal about probably not getting the level of support that he feels that this cause needs. I mean, I think it's brilliant too in the sense that I asked Nate just how big is this? How significant is this? Do you feel like it's going to stick this time? Um, and you said, Nate, you really do. So I guess, guys, we could just touch on some of the more details in this and what you're expecting. And, and Lawrence, Mercedes has even gone as far as to change the look of their car, haven't they? Yeah, so they've gone for this all black livery uh, with all the sponsors still there. But the bits that were silver, that trademark Mercedes silver, which they've uh, raced since, uh, I can't remember when it was, but, you know, um, I think it was the, uh, the 1930s. Uh, they're swapping that for a black livery. Uh, in support of um, everything that Lewis has been doing and with a clear message of uh, end racism, which is also going to be on the car. So um, I think that's incredibly important. I think, you know, it, it, it's the right move and it's the right uh, thing to put out because F1 has such a great, huge platform. It reaches so many people around the world um, that it's a real opportunity to, to get these messages across. And these are incredibly important messages. Um, but Mercedes have also, uh, they released a press release where they talked about the fact that only 3% of their workforce uh, identifies coming from an ethnic minority. And that really shows you, uh, you know, the situation that F1 has at the moment. And I don't think it's through um, any kind of um, overt racism at the moment in the sport. But, yeah. but th th there is certainly uh, this realisation that, you know, this isn't a sport that's open to everyone and it should be. And there's no reason why it shouldn't be, you know. And Mercedes uh, have been very clear that they think they're going to be a much stronger team if they start opening up and creating opportunities for people from all different sorts of backgrounds uh, and kind of, you know, really strengthening their team with people from everywhere. Because um, although, you know, uh, the majority of their engineers are kind of white, middle class, English guys, and, you know, that's the kind of way that the education system has pushed uh, people uh, into various different jobs in different industries, uh, you know, there is more that they can do from the top. So it, this is about a message and whether all this uh, will work, we'll only know quite a long way down the line, you know, this, this, is, this isn't going to be a short-term fix, it's going to be something that takes a long time to, uh, to come through. But you've got to start somewhere, and I think uh, both the sport and Mercedes uh, have, have made a good stand on that, and I think it's exactly the right thing to do. Thoughts on delivery, you liking it? I remember, I think, speaking to, um, to Lawrence, I believe, didn't Alfa Romeo kind of had, had a black one that they teased and I was like, oh, this would be so clean. And I was so gutted when you said that they were actually going to change it anyway. And now look at Mercedes coming up strong, all for a good cause. I'm happy for that. Mate, what do you think of it? Yeah, well, I think Lawrence has got bored of me over the past few years talking about liveries <laughs> because I always, I always say that, you know, F1s, we occasionally get a really nice looking car and um, a lot of them stick to very, you know, they, they have to please the sponsors. They have to put you know they have to very much follow a certain a certain um i guess philosophy when they're designing these things but i'm a huge nfl fan and american sports are very very good at um i guess just kind of thinking outside the box a lot of the time and this you would never have predicted mercedes to go away from that silver color and again the fact that they're doing it for this cause is super impressive because it's it's completely different to anything they've ever done before um but from a just purely from an aesthetics point of view it looks really good you know it looks fantastic and i think when you see that car uh, on the grid it's going to look different and you know silver it just isn't for me it's not that exciting of a color you know it just it you see it and it's just kind of it, it's one of the most boring colors on the color spectrum isn't it <laughs> you know you never like oh my favorite color is silver or, or like gray so and I, I, you know it, I, th I think it's that's just London look... every day yeah well that's it. maybe and I'm, coming from yeah. an Englishman I thought you'd love some <laughs> well, gray yeah, when you grow up with it you suddenly get very bored of it um so yeah, it's it, it it's a great thing, and I think um, like like Lawrence, Lawrence said it all perfectly. You know, it, it the added fact that it's for a, a great cause as well just makes it makes it even better. You know, if if they'd done that ahead of the season, I'd have been delighted with it anyway. But it has this this added bit to it that just yeah, it's a, it's a really great thing they're doing. Yeah, I agree with you. Definitely, really great thing. And I mean, I I say that from a personal point as a person of color as well. But I've seen other people. You know, like my friends, even back in the Caribbean, that have seen the news and they've seen me put it up and they say, oh, that's sick. I'm going to tune into F1 this weekend to watch. And I know it sounds superficial and small, but it is kind of echoing what Louis says, that it at least has now caught the attention of other people from other minority backgrounds that they can look at this and say, oh, maybe I can consider Formula One, you know, as something, whether from an engineering perspective, driving perspective or something, at least it is getting that message out there that they are open to diversifying the sports. And I think that's definitely what we've all been waiting to see for a long time coming.
But right now, let's get straight into some predictions. Well, not predictions just yet, but exactly how you see at least these next two weekends going. I know it's still early and I know we can only go off of what we saw, you know, way back when at the practice sessions and and whatnot. But Nate, I think I spoke to you maybe like a week or two ago. I mean, we speak often, but I think I had asked you about this and I probably asked, oh, should, you know, will it just be Litty Lewis now again? And you said, mm, now I remember this is Verstappen territory. So Yeah, I'm trying to build a narrative this... here. I <laughs> <laughs> and I know you've written about it in terms of the World Championship, but we'll get there. But for at least these next two weekends in Austria, is it just that simple to say it is Verstappen territory? He's your man. Well, it's, it's Verstappen territory in the sense that Mercedes has slipped up two consecutive years here. And Verstappen was the benefactor of that on both those occasions. So it's not fair to say that... It's a Mercedes weakness, but the fact that Mercedes has had issues here before, I think Mercedes have so few weaknesses that you, as a, as a rival team, you have to look at where they've been weak before. I mean, it used to be so Singapore used to be an example of a place where when you went, you said, "Oh well, you know, Mercedes has always struggled here. Will they do that?" And they they rectified those prob- uh, those those issues. So, yeah, I think from that perspective, I can definitely get excited about Verstappen winning. And also, I was thinking about 2017 and 2018 when we had Vettel win in Australia to kick those seasons off. And on both occasions, you get this kind of surge of excitement that followed it. And you suddenly think, well, you know, if Mercedes... I think people believing that Mercedes is beatable is half of what makes the season entertaining. When we haven't thought that, the season hasn't been very good that follows. Let's, let's just be honest about it. So part of it is from, you know, what's happened before. And I'll admit that half of it is wishful thinking on my part that Mercedes go there and there are issues and stuff like that. You know, the fact that, we've had so long since we've been we've been racing I don't know if that's going to be an issue for a team like Red Bull or Mercedes but there's so many unknowns that we're going into you know that I think that the chance of another upset certainly is much higher than it might have been if we were just coming to Austria as the 12th or 13th race in a season as we would have been without the pandemic um, I tend to disagree again uh, because the problems Mercedes had at the last two races in Austria weren't really down to performance. They were down to individual reliability issues. So uh, they had two reliability issues in the same race in uh, 2018, which is almost unheard of for Mercedes, but it happened. But they weren't doing too badly prior to that. They made some strategy errors, but the car was fundamentally quick. Uh, and then last year, it was an overheating issue. Uh, and we had ridiculously hot weather in Austria. I think it's 34 degrees, which is unheard of for the Red Bull ring normally. And it caught Mercedes out and uh, it uncovered one of the main issues with their car. But the fact was that when the car was operating in normal temperatures, it was, it was good. So had the weather been, you know, 22 degrees or whatever, or what we're expecting this weekend, then they probably would have been massively competitive again. So I don't buy this kind of, you know, Mercedes are no good at Red Bull Ring, because it's not true. You know, they, they've won and they won all the races between 2014 and 2017 there. So they can definitely compete there. I, I think the thing that uh, hopefully will make it exciting uh, is that um, Red Bull are in a better, stronger position than they've been since 2014 with, with this car. It looked really quick in, uh, in Barcelona testing. Um, it looked quick in high-speed corners, of which we have plenty in Austria. And uh, Honda have kind of really got their act together uh, last year. And we saw that towards the end of the year, year that the power that that engine is putting out is very close to, if not at a Mercedes level. Um, still some concerns about reliability, but then Mercedes also had concerns about reliability and testing. So, um, yeah, that, that's a big thing. And Honda have come to this race already with an update. So the engine that was going to race in Australia uh, has been evolved and put into a, this kind of better engine, which they're going to get to keep certain aspects of it throughout the season, which is, is really going to help them, while other teams that aren't bringing updates won't be able to do that. So, yeah, I would say Red Bull are going to be strong, but do not count out Mercedes based on those last two years because it's, you know, if you look at the actual facts of what happened at those races, it, you know, it, it's just simply not the case. So, um, yeah, my concern, however, as I'm sure we'll go on to, is Ferrari because they look like they are in big, big trouble. <laughs> oh, well, that's exactly what Mercedes definitely want to hear. And I mean, <laughs> some things never change. <laughs> <laughs> some things never change indeed i suppose it is interesting because i mean we, we were th- talking and we said physically there's only so much you could do but luckily at formula one is like uh, unlike other sports in the sense that you do have the car and and you have this whole workforce behind you of engineers that you know their their minds must have been going on different ways to improve different things during this lockdown period and 
I suppose they wouldn't have anything to, to, to base it off of apart from, you know, the practice, because obviously we've not had any action. But you, you do kind of wonder if, you know, these if we can expect some serious changes to the cars. Obviously, I know there are restrictions still, but do, do, should we? This is a really good point. So um, if you look at where they were at testing, mo- most of that car got signed off around Christmas, New Year. And then it had to be put into production to get the car ready. Uh, even before all the factories locked down for coronavirus, there was about three months of development. And the big task since those factories have reopened is turning that development into pieces on the car that can make it go faster. They're a little bit untested, because as you say, we haven't had the racing that we'd usually expect. Uh, but that was, that's been the big challenge for the teams uh, since they've reopened their factories to make sure they turn up with as fast cars as possible. Uh, I think, you know, the likes of Mercedes are coming with a big upgrade package. Red Bull are coming up with a big upgrade package. The odd one out among the top teams, certainly, is Ferrari, because um, they, having had time to analyse what they saw in testing, which was really, on the face of it, disappointing. And, you know, we were saying, well, maybe they had the engine turned down, maybe they were doing this, maybe they were doing that. They kind of come out and said, no, the car was just plain slow. And um, so all of, all of the work that they had been doing to bring in those updates, um, you know, the stuff that I've been working on prior to testing, they've essentially scrapped and they've uh, gone back to the drawing board. They've completely uh, picked a different development path with the car and none of those uh, new parts that they're working on are going to hit the track until the third race in Hungary. So they're essentially going to Austria with a car that they know was slower than Mercedes and Red Bull in testing. And in that time, Mercedes and Red Bull have brought more developments to their already pretty quick cars. So, and, you know, and also... Turning round a development path is not a simple process and it requires track time and you've got to understand what you're doing. And this is exactly the same problem Ferrari had last year. So on the face of it, from everything that the teams are telling us uh, from what we've heard, it looks like a bad situation for Ferrari. My only caveat to that and to like hopefully inject some excitement is that these are the opening races. So, you know, anything can happen. Things go wrong for teams all, all over the place. You know, there's still a chance that Ferrari could win a race if things go wrong elsewhere. But on the face of it, they're, they're lagging behind. That might have been Ferrari's people coming after you for giving them <laughs> yeah. such poor, poor analysis. They're like, they're like, ah, ah. They're like stop him. <laughs> but the Italian, the Italian sirens sound better than that. So the Italian sirens are—they almost pierce you more, though. They're yeah. they're quite piercing. <laughs> but Nate, what do you? What, are you kind of expecting similar things, especially from Ferrari then? Yeah, so it was pretty deflating to read the news yesterday that yeah. Lawrence has just mentioned about the upgrades. And <clears throat> to be honest, exactly as Lawrence said, we didn't come out of pre-season testing as we had last year, where we kind of came out of there thinking, "Wow, Ferrari looks really, really strong." Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been there's been signs of this for a while that Ferrari, I think, are changing their mindset. When we will obviously get, get get onto it later, but Vettel not staying on next year. They're bringing in Carlos Sainz next year. They'll have their most inexperienced lineup for a very long time they won't have a world champion at the helm and when they announced that lineup Mattia Bonotto referenced how inexperienced it was and he said you know it's it's a long journey back to the front for Ferrari so I think this mindset that the team has it's not just about this season I think that they've collectively uh, I, I guess understood or agreed that Ferrari isn't living up to those expectations people have and whether it needs a change in the culture behind the scenes whether it needs them to be as honest as they're being now and almost admit that they're a way away from championships maybe that's what they need to 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 come back to but yeah there's certainly been these signs in the in the pandemic from what we've heard from Mattia Bonotto etc that this was the case um but yeah uh, as Lawrence said let's 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 look at the positive sides of it we might have Red Bull and Mercedes might wipe each other out of the first corner and then it's it's Vettel v Leclerc for another race win we'll get Brazil all over again or what that wasn't for a race win but those two going wheel to wheel would be pretty interesting given everything that's happened over the last few months well, I suppose with all this said, the big question is, how do you see all of this now affecting just the championship on a whole, at least the driver's championship too? Because, I mean, maybe we didn't need budget caps or um, all these regulations to level the playing field. Maybe we just needed a freaking pandemic to happen. Because now, as Lawrence said, we don't even have a full season yet. We have to, like, mush things here and there, back-to-back races. So how much do you see this affecting you know, just the predictability of this year's Drivers' Championship. Well, I can, I can tick off another thing of things that Lawrence is fed up with me talking about, and that's the length of the calendar <laughs> in Formula 1. Um, we've seen over the, over the years it's got longer and longer and longer, and that's great when you have new events join. But the, the negative side of that from a championship perspective is not only does it devalue those races that you've got on there, 
But I think when when you have a sport like Formula One where teams are you often get a team that is the quickest car across most of the season. And what we've seen happen over the past few seasons is Lewis has just gained this incredible lead. And by, I remember last year, we, we weren't even at the summer break yet, and we were looking at the calendar like, okay, well, he could win it by, you know, three races after we get back or four races. And that is so deflating from a, you know, from a journalistic perspective, if you're a fan or whatever, because the longer that goes on, I think it's much harder for, for, for two competitors or three competitors to stay together closely. And, I was looking back, I mean, 2010, 2012, they still had quite a lot of races, but the cars were much quicker. So it's not just a calendar. Uh, sorry, the cars were much closer. So it's not just a calendar issue. But when you have fewer races and you make a mistake, I think you have less time to make up for that mistake. The big one last year was Mercedes had that horrific weekend in Germany where pretty much everything that you could expect go wrong for a team did go wrong. Lewis left that race and because Bottas crashed out, he left, he gained a point on Bottas. Verstappen won the race and really when you looked at the championship, you wouldn't have thought Lewis had had a bad race after that. You know, when you looked at the standings because he was still so far ahead. If that had been the third race of 10 or the third race of 11, you suddenly start looking at it as, oh, well, you know, that's that's a huge amount for him to come back from. So from that perspective, I think it's going to be, it, it, it's got to make an impact. You know, having fewer races has got to, if you have, if we do get 15 or we do get 18, it's still a lot, but it's much less than 22. And I think that that's a, that's a significant part of this championship that we're going to, I think we'll be talking about more and more if there are mistakes made by Mercedes early on. Lawrence, what do you think? Should should Lewis um, be shaking in his very, very stylish boots? <laughs> no, not really, because the thing is, if you're going to back any team to get it right from the start, who's it going to be? It's probably going to be the team that's won the past six championships, isn't it? So this is the problem. Like, I, While I see what Nate's saying and, and stuff like that, the, the crux of the issue is not so much that we've got too many races, it's just that the cars aren't competitive, you know, the, the rivals aren't competitive compared to Mercedes. So... Um, what it will do is, is put a lot of pressure on um, on teams uh, in those early races to make sure they grind out results. Like, who knows? That could even be slightly boring races because they don't take risks and stuff like that just to get uh, the points on the board. Um, the other interesting thing behind the scenes is uh, is how it kind of changes uh, plans for development of these cars over the year because, um, uh, you know, if, if it looks like you're not going to win the championship by kind of the mid-season point, you know, how much do you keep pushing? The only caveat to that is that these cars are essentially staying for next year as well. So the teams are going to want to get the cars as quick as possible by the end of this year. So they have a limited amount of work they have to do next year to also be competitive for a championship while they're then looking at a complete change of regulations in 2022. So there's a huge amount going on and it's going to be really interesting to see how different teams approach it in terms of the development of the car uh, what they prioritise and then um, how that championship position and how those early races and the results they do or don't have uh, changes their focus um, you know, to, to where they're spending their money, which next year gets capped at £145 million as well. So there, there's an awful lot going on. Um, and, uh, and, and the other interesting thing as well, to go into slightly more detail on that, is that these cars uh, were designed from the offset to be run without a budget cap in place. Uh, they were basically, you know, designed to, you know, the cost of production of certain parts didn't really matter because, you know, you, you're going to run them anyway. Next year, they've got this budget cap in place. So they're also going to try and find ways to make uh, maintaining and running these cars even cheaper so that they can access more budget to go into the following year. So there's just so, so much going on uh, with this shorter season and the impact it's going to have on uh, on development stuff like that, which you may not even see in the race, you know, you, you may not even notice it, but uh, all of that is going on behind the scenes. So, um, yeah, having a short season is a big impact on F1 teams and how they go about their business. Uh, but I still kind of feel that, you know, the, the, the team that looked fastest in testing, the team that has the history of winning races is the one, if I was going to put my own money on it, I would, I, I would back to win. Uh, the championship and that's Mercedes now it's a boring answer uh in many ways I hope I'm wrong so that we get an exciting season that goes down to the final few races but um the reality is is, is you know is that's the case but bring on Red Bull bring on hopefully Ferrari after Hungary with a um with a competitive car I don't know if anyone can see Lawrence but he's actually dressed up as the Grinch right now and uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Lawrence, Lawrence. We're going to have to send Ferrari's police after him again soon. We'll, we'll... <laughs> but anyway, so of course, now we've had that nice little build up. I won't ask you guys to give me predictions for the championship just yet because we haven't even seen a wheel touch the ground just yet. So at least for this weekend, though, definitely have to get predictions. I know we kind of alluded to it with 
with Nate probably hinting at Verstappen, Lawrence saying it may not be that clear cut. And of course not, we're coming back from a freaking pandemic, as I need to say again. So podium finishes, what are we predicting, guys? Well, I can't follow everything I've said and then predict Lewis winning. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. I'm, I'm gonna say Max wins and Lewis second with Bottas third. I think, um, I think Mercedes will be strong. You know, I agreed with everything Lawrence said about. You know, I, I, I'm not at all saying that that car is suddenly, you know, not the fastest car out there. Mm. But the fact there's enough ingredients in there. It's the first race. There's so many unknowns anyway at a first race, and we've got all these other variables in there. So why not? I'm going to say Max first, Lewis second, and then you know, we spend five days talking about how great the championship's going to be before the second race in Austria. Sir Grinch? Sorry, I mean Lawrence. Yeah, <laughs> at the risk of being called the Grinch again, I'm going to say that uh, Lewis gets taken out on the first lap. Oh, uh, maybe by Sebastian Vettel, which you know completely resets the whole championship picture. Um, Valtteri Bottas goes on to win, so that I'm sticking with my prediction that, okay. that, 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 that the Mercedes is going to be competitive. Uh, Max is second, and let's say Charles Leclerc manages to wrestle his Ferrari through to third with a remarkable drive in a car that's under par. All right, guys. Well, as before we get into your predictions that we're going to revisit from earlier this year, dun, dun, dun. they've got little sly smiles, all of them, some more embarrassed than others, but we'll get to that because now it's time for a little pit stop as we're calling it right now. And this is a, a kind of little new segment that, of course, now that we know we're going to get some action and we know a couple of you guys will definitely have some questions to throw at our experts right here, or you just might have some predictions. Uh, we know a couple of our followers on social media have already sent some in. So, boys, I'm going to get you guys to chime in on them. We've asked them for, A, some questions for you guys and some very bold predictions for the season or at least this first race weekend. So I'm just going to, like, rattle through quite a few of them so let's start off with harry diacono it's a very nice last name if it is your last name he says vettel to spin four times in friday's practice <laughs> nate's already laughing let me just ravel through a couple more rick roberts wants to know what makes the austrian grand prix unique from other grand prix i think that's a good way to start because nate you kind of alluded to it a little earlier on yeah well four times in is that across the first friday practice or is it would you i, I yeah, suppose you friday include practice both one <clears throat> wow i mean Maybe who knows? I mean, it, you know, it, it, let's let's see. I mean, he could do. He, he certainly has spun a lot in recent years. I thought with that surname, it might be a pro Vettel, pro Ferrari question. It sounded very Italian, the surname, unless yeah. I misheard it. Um, and yeah, Austria, we kind of we kind of touched on it, you know, very quick. Mm -hmm. And Lawrence has mentioned as well, high speed corners. Um, you know, the lap is pretty much finished as soon as it's begun. And um, yeah, it just it just it, it. If there's guys fighting close, we've seen we've seen some instances a few times there over the years. Um, yeah, it's a, I think it's a very underrated circuit. Cool. James Clevo says, Birth Mercedes will fail and the podium will be Albon, Leclerc, Verstappen. And Ayrton, not Senna, says, Max Verstappen will win, Leclerc second, and signs, Sunday signs in third. George Russell Sweet actually Carlos does. Sweet Carlos And he says, George Russell will actually does an incredible drive and finishes 11th. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Those are all possible. Uh, as we talked about earlier, Mercedes reliability issues uh, do tend to haunt them in Austria. I'm not convinced that that's really a guide as to how this year's car will perform. But yeah, it's it's happened before. That could definitely happen again. Uh, I'm slightly mixed up on those podiums. I like the one where Albon won. That would be that would be yeah, a great start be great. to the season. That'd be brilliant. Um, uh, and I heard Leclerc mentioned a couple of times. So yeah, mm -hmm. I put him down on my podium. Completely agree with that. George, you know what? I, I reckon he could get in the points. I'd go even further because. Um, the Williams, we know, is still going to be back at the back of the grid, but crazy race. Uh, there's, I haven't checked the forecast in the last 24 hours or so, but I know earlier this week there was potential forecast of rain, which might help with the Vettel four spins, by the way. Um, <laughs> but uh, if, you know, if rain comes, a number of drivers get knocked out, there's some reliability issues. I wouldn't put it past Russell in a semi-competitive Williams that would usually be finishing around kind of 16th to creep into the points. I think he's that good. I'm glad someone mentioned Albon as well because I think in our in our pod so far we've only really mentioned a few guys. It'd be amazing to see him get a podium pretty early on. Obviously, he should have had one in Brazil. And um, Albon's one of those fascinating characters that yeah. I think is very very good. Uh, he's obviously up against a really tough teammate, but this season for him is going to be really fascinating because he's he's going to have, like Lawrence has said a few times, like the Red Bull is in a much better position now. So yeah, Albon on the podium, I really like that idea. I got a lot of love for Alex Albon, for sure. Here's another interesting question, too, that we did kind of touch on, but I suppose you guys um, can touch on it a bit more. Someone wants to know, will the extra time off benefit or hinder any teams in particular? I mean, we have 
had the privi- privilege of speaking to, you know, a couple of drivers like Lando Norris as well. I mean, Nate, you guys have, you know, spoken to a couple of members from Haas just this last week. So, you know, did you get a feel of how it might hinder or probably has helped some of them? Well, I think it's definitely helped Lando's numbers on Twitch uh, <laughs> over the past couple of months. Yeah, I think like Lawrence has said, you know, th- these guys have been sitting around waiting. And, um, you know, Haas is an interesting one because we were talking about upgrades earlier. Haas is waiting until its budget for the year gets signed off before it even thinks about upgrades. So we're going to see that, that gap between the haves and the haves not, have-nots a little bit, you know, because of that wait and what some teams have been able to do in this break and what some teams haven't been able to do. But yeah, from a, from a competitive standpoint, it's it's not quite like football, you know, these cars aren't going to be cramping up 10 laps in or something because they haven't been training. Um, yes, yeah, it's going to run fairly, fairly close to what we would have expected. No drinks breaks for them. Laura Anderson 12 says both McLaren cars in the points. Mm. Ant says Ferrari to take off the sandbags and one of them will win. I'll say Vettel. The other will be in third with Verstappen sandwiched between the two. TGS F1 says three of the top six drivers from the top three to do not finish. Wow. That's yeah, yeah that, 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 that's a big shout. But, you <laughs> yeah. know, again, all you need is one of those first lap accidents, a number of cars to kind of concertina off and take each other out. But it doesn't happen very often. Um, I think the McLaren prediction, bang on. Uh, they, they, they've got a good chance to be there. Their big rivals at the moment uh, are looking like Racing Point. Uh, we know McLaren finished fourth behind the uh, top three teams last year but Racing Point look very very good with what we dubbed in testing as the pink Mercedes because it's so similar to last year's Mercedes um, so I think uh, they're the ones to look out for um, as as potential top 10 finishers as well um, and then what else do we have what, what was the middle question again it was the sandbags and Ferrari yeah, oh, yeah. Like, this, that Ferrari will take well, off the, but this Vettel thing of sandbags Ferrari Ferrari fans are obsessed with the idea of sandbagging. As long as I've been in F1, it's always been Ferrari fans talking, and like no one else uses that phrase. And everyone assumes Ferrari sandbagging, and usually the story is they're just not very good. So I don't think they, there's any sandbags there. Sorry, Lawrence, you were going to jump in on that one. No, I agree. Um, I think uh, Ferrari kind of answered that themselves yesterday with what they said about uh, how disappointed they are with where the car was in testing. It wasn't sandbagging, it was just that the car wasn't very good. All right, so a couple more predictions now. Kyle Godown says, Danny Ricardo to finish in the top five. A Williams driver will beat a Haas driver. He's not specified, though. And both Red Bulls will beat both Mercedes. Ooh. Those That's got more very bold predictions. Those got me. bolder the further on you got. Yeah. A little, bit, a little bit like me when I look over pictures of my life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, just before one of you guys jumped in with that, I thought I would. Um, <laughs> I like all of those predictions. The the Red Bull Mercedes one would be amazing if that did happen. Haas being beaten by Williams, we saw that happen a few times last year. You know, Haas slid all the way back to the, the back end of the grid by the end of last season. And I think there's a big question mark over that team this year. And what was, there was a third one there that was, oh, it was uh, Ricardo in the top five, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's being pretty optimistic about Renault. I, I, I don't think, I think Ricardo's good enough for that. I'm not sure if the car at that circuit mm. where it relies so much on power, I don't think you're going to see a Renault do that well. I'm just still scrolling down and some of these are actually quite bold. That's why I was laughing. But here's a question from Safal. He says, will Mercedes be using DAS in this race? Has any other team copied so far since it's legal? Yeah, um, it is legal for for this year. It's not legal for next year. And that really put the rest of the teams off uh, putting any development uh, kind of money behind it or development time behind it. So uh, as far as we know, no, no other team's going to have it. Will Mercedes use it? Well, I suspect they will, but there was this big question ahead of Australia whether they will. And the question that's tied to that is whether the other teams are going to protest it. Uh, because there's still some suggestions that uh, that they might have, uh, might be against even this year's regulations. Um, I think Mercedes is pretty confident that it's not. And I think um, they may well intend to use it early on uh, just to just to make sure of that and get that out of the way, even if it's not a track where, uh, where they need it. I think what one of the uh, key uh, elements of it is tyre conditioning, especially behind the safety car and stuff like that. So um, if you get situations like that, then uh, then I suspect we, we might see them use it. But yeah, uh, that will be interesting. But the really interesting bit is whether the other teams protest and whether that protest is successful. Because the risk there for Mercedes, of course, is that imagine if they get chucked out, if they win this race, 1-2 or whatever, and then the other teams protest DAS and they get kicked out and they lose all those points... Uh, and have to uh, do the rest of the season without DAS and also starting on the back foot. And that would be fascinating. So 
There's still some big questions around it, but I suspect uh, Mercedes may trial it, uh, at least in practice, uh, make sure it's doing what they hoped, and then uh, they'll use it if they need it in the race. And uh, I suspect if it gets protested, it will probably be found to be legal. Yeah, see, Lawrence loves ha- when everything kicks off. They'd have, they'd, have less, <laughs> they'd have less time to make up lost ground, Lawrence, you see. You kind of answered my earlier, vindicated my earlier argument. <laughs> yeah, but if any other car is found to be illegal, they will also have less time to be... Uh, yeah, exactly. Because there's less, there's less. Yeah, yeah but I, I, I don't think that. I think the fundamental issue is <laughs> Sorry, that I'm, these cars I'm, I'm now, are not competitive. Just for the sake of it. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Here's one from Darren M. Carden. He says Seb will 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 win, or he'll have a complete tantrum and walk home from the track. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if under the regulations, like what the rules are around walking home to the track. Like I, Do you know, you know what? when someone's having a tantrum, sometimes it's best to just let them be. Yeah, yeah. As long as he puts his mask on, then he can probably just walk home from the track. It might yeah. not be safe for him, but hey. It's a long walk, Switzerland. Though. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hilly as well. K Special says Hamilton and Bottas will both have their steering wheels come loose from the columns and they will literally just let Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to sing that as. Jesus take the it, wheel. There we go. That's better. Um, I mean. Uh, I don't want that. To, it sounds quite dangerous, but I want, I, I'd love to see. I'd love to see that as a meme. You know, I'm not. Oh, I'm not saying no. I want them to crash, but that that would be a yeah. That would work as a meme. That would be that would be very, ooh, very interesting. Here's a question from F Macefield. He says, "I would like to know if you think Sebastian Vettel should take a sabbatical after this season." Oh, it's two questions in one. And then, who do you think will win the Norris versus Ricardo battle next year? Um, I think Sebastian might not just be looking at a sabbatical, but uh, the end of his F1 career. If I don't think he gets a seat next year, can't really see something opening up beyond that because um, you know the other teams have had opportunities to sign him. Ferrari obviously could have kept him if they wanted to, and they could have agreed a deal with him that made sense to him. Mercedes, so it'll be a forced sabbatical. <laughs> yeah, so Mercedes could have had him on board. Uh, McLaren could have had him on board. Uh, Red Bull could still have him on board if they wanted to, but they've kind of made it clear that they don't. Uh, so if he doesn't get a drive for next year, I reckon, I reckon that's it. Um, and then the Ricardo Norris one is really, really interesting. I think it's it's, it's a good mm. battle. I think we're going to see Norris uh, really kind of come into his own with a bit of experience behind him. Um, but uh, I still think Ricardo, over the course of a whole season, would have the edge in that pairing. Certainly in the thir- in the first year that they're together. Yeah, I agree. I think I think Ricardo is going to be huge for Norris's development, though. As lo- mm. as Lawrence says, like oh, we've seen Norris with science has been very close to him. He hasn't been beating him, but he's, he's not like science has been blowing him out of the water every race. Norris was chipping away at it. Um, on the Vettel point, I, I actually would love, I, as much as he's a, an asset to Formula One, I would love to see him go and do something else like Indy or WEC or something like that. Cause there's always been this question with Vettel and I'll admit, I subscribed to it at one point as well when he was winning all those races with Red Bull about just how good he was. You know, he had such a great car and actually at Ferrari, he's, ter- he's, he's been great on occasions there and it'd be great for him to go, and do some other races. I have this weird I- image in my head of him going to the Indy 500 and beating Fernando Alonso at that race. And you can imagine there was that thousand yard stare that Alonso had when he lost in Brazil to Vettel. I think that would be about a billion yard stare if he lost in similar circumstances to Vettel at the Indy 500, given you know the way he's talked about him before. But I think Vettel would be, a, would be an asset to any other championship if he went there. And it'd be cool to see talented drivers going to do other stuff. And final question now from Nick Harris-Smith. I'm getting really clever way of joining the S from Harris and Smith together in your handle. Anyways, if Ferrari really have missed the beat with this car, what will it mean for their championship standing? Can anything really knock them off the top three? I know we did hint it at that, guys. What are you saying? Not out of the top three, because we know that that's pretty locked in, but it doesn't sound good for their championship hopes. They might get a win here or there, but you'd be very brave to predict anything more than that. And it would mean that next year's a write-off as well because that car is essentially there until the new regulations come in. So I, I think what you'd see is that they would accept third place or have to accept third place over the next two years and then the development would just go so much into 2022 uh, where they try and gain an advantage and come back to the top because one thing about Ferrari is at least they're in it for the long term. And being, being in third comfortably next year, it's not great from a competitive point of view, but if you do have Leclerc and Science as your lineup and you know, trying to keep the pressure off science, especially that might not be the worst thing. You know, if if they if they are serious about this rebuilding and taking a while to go back to the front, so don't uh, don't think it's all doom and gloom. It could you know it means that Ferrari just has to be a bit patient, maybe with 
getting back to the front. Ooh, Ferrari fans, patient. Yeah, but well, see, that's 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 the Italian heritage inside of me trying to trying to find some positive <laughs> spin on it. Oh, not that's much, You're trying but... to be the opposite of of, of Lawrence's Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe too. Yeah, maybe too far the other way. Maybe I need to rein it in. <laughs> too much optimism. Yeah. <laughs> well, we revisit some predictions that were made back in March. So before what felt like Armageddon was going on outside. These are some of the predictions that you guys made, and some of them have already been written off. Does Sebastian Vettel stay at Ferrari? See, when we did when we did the first podcast, I was pretty convinced he wouldn't. Yeah. Um, we've since heard, heard Mattia Bonotto say that he's their first choice, and for all we've said about Vettel's form recently, I think he's still very well thought of at Ferrari. I think he brings a lot to that team. We spoke about that before, like what he brings to the team from a technical point of view. Mm-hmm. I, I can the more the further into the season we get, I can see them sticking with him. So I, I'm going to say he does stay. Theory on kind of Vettel uh, struggling there, or there being fireworks there, was based on Ferrari having a good car and mm-hmm. um, the clerk challenging for the championship that Vettel had always wanted since he went to Ferrari and all the kind of uh, mental issues that might create for Sebastian. Um, but actually, as things stand, I think um, they're not really going to fight for the championship, and that could mean that uh, they stick with what they've got for another year. Where does Danny Rick end up in 2021? Oh, I like yes. the use of Danny Rick as well. Yeah, right? I did that, Ricardo. by the way. Yeah. The thing that is frustrating looking at that Vettel situation is that that was really the only place that Ricardo can go. Lawrence mentioned that if Mercedes is going to move on from Bottas, it will be George Russell. And I think we've all given up any idea of Lewis mm-hmm. going to Ferrari. So really... Ricardo is kind of having to bank on another team making it successful. I'm actually going to say he ends up at McLaren. I would say Renault. I would say Renault. Renault. For, for all the same reasons that the top teams look like they're closing off. Um, but I don't see... It's a sideways move to go to McLaren. Yeah. Makes them look a little bit desperate. Um, I'd, I'd stay at uh, Renault one-year contract, see where mm. the cards lie after that. Well, first of all... Um delighted that we have on audio we have it recorded me getting something right about daniel rick daniel ricardo in terms of where he goes in the future because i've told the story about the book before i won't say it again but um yeah that that uh i think was it it maybe isn't the most exciting move from a you know competitive standpoint right now but actually it gives him a long-term opportunity to maybe be part of something and that's what speaking to ricardo's guys for a while now it really they they didn't actually have as many options as people might have thought they did. The Mercedes option really kind of died in 2018 when he went to Renault, and it wasn't even that big then. And Ferrari, I mean, I'd, as much as it sounds nice about Ricardo, that that link also kind of, you know, it it, it was never really a, a completely serious one after 2018 either. So McLaren, I'm glad I got that one right, and um, I'm gonna I'm just gonna ride on the coattails of that now for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah, as and, and- you should. And further proof if it was needed that you can disregard everything that I said so far on this podcast because it's probably not <laughs> going to come true. Um, well, we but both... interesting that I said I thought it was desperate that he, if he were to make a move from McLaren to Renault. Um, and I still, to some extent, believe that because uh, if you look at McLaren and the situation there in the moment, they've just had to, uh, the group as a whole has just had to take out a big loan from Bahrain. That set back a huge amount of their infrastructure spending on a new wind tunnel and stuff like that. This isn't a team that's about to, you know, rocket back up the standings. They've got some uh, some pretty big issues. But assuming Ricardo knew all that, it also shines a light on what he really thinks of Renault. Um, and uh, and clearly, you know, he doesn't have any any faith in in them doing uh, doing anything, you know, to being able to get back up to the top of the championship either. So um, yeah, I, I think that's yeah, it's an interesting one listening back to that. But I kind of stand by the fact that it is a little bit desperate because it just shows that Ricardo doesn't have didn't have any options at the top teams. I kind of cringe. I kind of cringe listening back to the Ferrari bit because if you listen at the start, I kind of talked myself out of saying Vettel would leave, which is kind of what I, <laughs> at the tail end of last year, I couldn't see them keeping the Leclerc Vettel thing together, and then everything we heard, it was it was very it was very kind of well stage managed, and we heard Vettel say, oh, you know, everything's fine here, and they kind of said Vettel's our number one priority, and the the science stuff really kind of it that that whole news week as we as we covered at the time kind of snowballed out of nowhere and it does seem that that decision it might have been bubbling behind the scenes for a while but i think that for a long time that was the intention and i think things have probably you know discussions have obviously you know there's there's been a there's been stuff happening behind the scenes that we haven't been aware of um which which moved it away but yeah i listened to that and i was like wow yeah we were we were completely wrong on that um but i suppose that shows how quickly that news came together 
<laughs> well, guess what? It doesn't stop there because I have made a note of some other predictions that you guys have made. And you know what? Because I'm such a forgiving person, I'm going to see if you guys want to revisit your predictions now that, you know, a lot has changed um, and we don't really know what's going to be happening. So predictions are hard to come by anyways. But let's start off with this one. We picked, Nate, we had asked you, who do you think is going to win more races, Max Verstappen or Charles Leclerc? And you said Verstappen. So... Yep, still stick with that. Still sticking with that, plain and simple. Lawrence, yep. you also said you're still sticking with Lewis to win the Drivers' Championship. He didn't even bat an eyelash. Lewis Hamilton, thanks you for that one. Shock podium. This is an interesting one. <laughs> Nate says Sergio Perez at Monaco, which we know there's no Monaco, sad. And Lawrence said Lando Norris, friend of the show, at Baku. So we know we're not going to have Baku either. So are you guys sticking with these two gents? And if so, where could they get this shock podium finish? Well, this is an interesting one because we don't, we're not going to have any street circuit races on the calendar this year. And that does seem to be the best opportunity, for, especially for Perez, you know, at, at Monaco. Um, it depends. I mean, that we don't really get shock podiums in Formula One. That's the sad yeah. truth of it. And I, I think if anyone's going to get it, Sergio Perez seems to be a good shout. Um, and like you know, we've, we've, we've mentioned already, the racing point does look very, very good. So I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to say we'll get a Perez podium. Uh, I, I, I'm not brave enough to predict where because yeah. we don't know half the calendar at this point. I'll use that as my out. <laughs> <laughs> love that, love that. Don't worry, we'll get back to you on this one for sure. Lawrence, you sticking with Lando? I'm not sure I am. Uh, you know, oh. it, it was based on Baku being a bit of a wild race and uh, him coming through. And as Nate makes a great point, you know, street races are off the agenda at the moment because of the situation we're facing. So it's going to have to happen uh, a kind of, you know, proper racing track where there's not so many walls to crash into for various cars ahead. So I'm actually going to jump ship and join Nate with a racing point driver to make a difference. I'm going to say Lance Stroll. Uh, and uh, I'm going to say at the second Silverstone. Just because they're, you know, they're changing up the tyres for that one. It's an opportunity to kind of maybe maybe move up the, uh, up the order a bit. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd still like to see a car other than the top three on the podium at some point this year. So I'm, I'm going to go with Lance Stroll at Silverstone. All right. What about this one now in terms of how many races will Valtteri Bottas win? Nate, you said three. Yeah. That's, that's looking like a very big number now considering yeah, so that what's was, gone that was, on. That was based on a 22-race calendar, so that's a percentage <laughs> of 22. Uh, basically, I think the, the underlying fact of that prediction is I don't think Bottas is going to win many races this year. That was the main point of it. You know, he seems to win two, three, you know, a handful every year. And um, I just can't, you know, if, if, if the car's in a position to win a race. I think Lewis wins the race usually unless he hits problems. And often he's the second Mercedes, so his strategy gets, you know, moved around so that he's the rear gunner for Lewis, which makes sense. So yeah, I can't see him winning many. Maybe 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 the same amount. Uh maybe two, maybe you know, maybe less. Um yeah, uh, it's just hard to get excited about Bottas's chances, unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry, Valtteri. Like, you know, Valtteri's know. A really, he's a really nice guy, but yeah. I, after four seasons of saying the same thing, you've got to you've got to, you know, change your mind on it. Um, which I think I did at the start of last year. So, Well, look what he's up against when he shows up in the office, right? So there you go. And then best of the rest winner now. I think we all kind of agree that it's going to be hard to, you know, shoehorn the usual top three out of those top three positions. So Lawrence, you went with Renault. Yeah, and uh, that was based on pretty decent testing performance and the fact that uh, they've got a bit of extra money to throw at it. And I'm going to stick with it because we know for the first race alone, Renault have combined the three upgrade packages that they were hoping to bring by this stage of the season into one upgrade package for, uh, for Austria. Meanwhile, rivals McLaren do have some updates, but they're not really shouting about them. I think it's a relatively small package based on the fact that uh, they've had some financial issues in between as well. And Racing Point, we're, not, we're only still only expecting one upgrade package for the whole year. Uh, which is still due to come in mid-season uh, because, one, they're confident with the car they've got, but also, you know, they, they just don't have the budget uh, to, to throw at it uh, so much. So uh, I'm going to stick with that just because I think that Renault has got the ability to progress more than its uh, midfield rivals through the season, even if they don't start look, the season looking like the best of the rest. And then most overachieving team, both of you said racing points. Changes or sticking with it? No, stick with that. I'm sticking with that. Based on where they were last year, based on how good that car looked in testing, uh, I think they're going to be the team that kind of moves the highest up the order. And on the complete opposite now, most disappointing team. I think anyone, <laughs> anyone listening to this, 
doesn't get any brownie points for guessing who we're going to say. A resounding Ferrari from both of you. However, Nate did chuck in Haas as well. Yeah. Oh, and this might affect your lovely little relationship with um, Gunther Steiner that you just so well, beautifully built in our interview last week. Yeah, you know, Haas has quickly become one of my favourite teams on the grid. You know, it's, it's a nice small team and it's, you know, they they don't make any, they don't pretend they're something they're not. You know, they're a, they're a proper racing team. But last year was really difficult to watch. You know, they just didn't understand that car mm. and testing, they, there were so many question marks about it. I just couldn't see them. It didn't seem like they were that confident about um, having understood a lot of those issues and now I think unfortunately this pandemic is probably is I mean it's been horribly timed for all sorts of businesses and people etc but for them I think it's 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 the worst thing that could have happened to them in terms of improving this car because they're not we were just talking about upgrade packages for the midfield teams uh, Haas might not have one all season you know they definitely won't have one for the foreseeable future and um, they seem like they'll just be kind of treading water so disappointing from the purely from the point of I just want to see the American team do as well as possible on the grid you know they're a, they're a fun team to watch they're a fun team to support um, and I'm sure people listening to the podcast will agree Nate's just trying to go to America don't you dare Nate <laughs> I will find you and fight you but anyways not for, guys yeah, not, for, not for a while Ooh, that was that was a nice meaty episode. I mean, we literally could go on and on, seriously. But thankfully, there is actually racing and we are going to reconvene again just this week in a few days from now. So before we wrap things up, final thoughts, final thoughts before, because the next time we meet, it'll be it. Well, I'm looking forward to all of our predictions in this also being wrong. And then us <laughs> basically doing this episode again in seven days and being like, oh, we got everything wrong. Um, no, it's it's um it's going to be great. Like. <laughs> The, the feeling I had watching the Premier League the first game back was amazing and you know it wasn't a sport it's a sport I've always followed closely but don't cover it professionally and this has another element to it and I think um, I was I spent all week listening to Brian Tyler's um, F1 theme and I think I'll continue doing that until Friday practice so if anyone hasn't done that yet I very much recommend you do that it'll get you thoroughly pumped up for the race but um, yeah it's going to be it's going to be an awesome week whatever happens you know we'll have racing again we'll have cars on track it's going to be awesome Lawrence buzzing yeah, I see. How do I add to that? I mean, that's that's so true. We we've been waiting so long. It's been such a long time to get get those cars back on track. I think just seeing you know a car leave the pits uh, to do an installation lap at the start of FP one is going to be uh, something pretty special. So um, yeah, cannot wait. Cannot wait. It's going to be fantastic. There we have it, the first preview episode in the books. And don't forget, if you're in the U.S., you can catch all the weekend's action on ESPN and ESPN2, starting with Saturday's qualifying at 8.55 a.m. Eastern Time. Race coverage starts at 8 a.m. on ESPN on Sunday, but you can keep updated on all of the action across all of our F1 platforms. And make sure to catch us again on Sunday evening for full reaction and analysis on another edition of ESPN's F1 Podcast.